It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Very excited. I'm always excited about a new episode, Jerry, but today more so because we get to speak to Maya Wynn again. That's right. I think we had a great conversation last week. I love talking to Maya. Yeah, she really is amazing. We're going to dive into side two of Envy of None. But first, I must tell you, you can find us on Twitter, at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Let him know what you think of the Envy of None album, therushcast at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that's Lex doing some Envy of None. He's the best. And Jer, I hope you got an email to get us started. Of course I do, Steve. Would I, would I let you down in the email department? You might. You might, Rabbit. You might. I might. <laughs> this is from Brent. What's up, Brent? He's from Ottawa. Oh, nice. He says, hey, lads, I only found the podcast just before Christmas, but doing my best to catch up. I'm at episode 50, so still a ways to go, but I'm getting there, and I'm really enjoying the ride. Though I did skip ahead to the fan origin story episode, and it was one of my favorites. So that's 50 episodes since Christmas. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah. I'm 57, Canadian, and one of those mid-70s old-school first record diehards. Listening to the podcast has been a reflective experience for me. You guys have pondered on many occasions in earlier episodes what it might have been like to have been a fan from the beginning and how our relationship with Rush may have evolved as the band's sound and image did the same, especially that middle period from 1984 to 1996. Most people you talked to did the opposite. They discovered Rush at some point then went backward to find out what came before. You may have covered this by now, but I really haven't heard you interview anyone who has described anything similar to my Rush journey. That is a very complicated, conflicted relationship with a band I love and admire above all others. Rush and I, well, we've had a 44-year-long roller coaster ride of love, rejection, indifference, scorn, awe, disappointment, reverence, and a dozen other worthy adjectives. To categorize it in general terms of stages, it goes like this. A, love at first sight. B, disillusionment and confusion. C, abandonment. And D, rediscovery and reevaluation. It's been a weird relationship. Being Canadian, I believe, adds another layer of complexity to the whole picture. Kind of like being an Irish person would see you two differently or an American's perspective on John Bon Jovi. And then he says, parenthetically, you guys are hilarious when you dance around John Bon Jovi's place in the rock world. And being from New Jersey, I can tell you he's a god up here in the great white north. Really? Yeah, there you go. I mean, he's a god here too, right? I guess they named a a rest stop after him on the Garden (laughs) State Parkway, so I guess so. It's the highest New Jersey honor to have a rest stop named after you. (laughs) Two peculiar but vastly illuminating things your podcast has inspired me to do. Spend the past few months deep diving into those records, Grace Under Pressure to Snakes and Arrows, to seek out how my perspective on those albums may have changed, and secondly, to devise an evaluation system for every single song on every album to then determine a rating chart for how the albums can be listed in order. This is not a song listing, but an album listing based on the average score for each song on any album. Guess which album came in last. I'm going to guess Test for Echo. Um, I don't know. He didn't, he didn't <laughs> say. I don't know why he didn't say. He asked the question. You asked me to guess. I thought I was going to get the answer. That's, he, he asked you to guess. I didn't. All right. I have been surprised more times than I can count when reevaluating the songs. 
many times I have reaffirmed the way I felt about particular songs and albums 30 years ago. Jerry, you're quite correct in naming Tai Shan as one of Rush's truly what were they smoking songs. But the biggest surprise album was Presto. So I guess he likes Presto. Who doesn't? Keep up the great work, or as we say up here, keep giving her, eh? <laughs> That's from Brent. That was a roller coaster of an email. It sure was. One thing we've never done is abandoned Rush. That's right. I wonder when he did that. I don't know. There's so much more detail that could be given. Maybe we'll have to have a follow-up email from him. <laughs> yeah, like the answer to the trivia question, right? Right. Unless it's Presto. Maybe I read it wrong. I don't know. It sounded like you read it right to me. Yeah. So, so did I. That's what I think, too. Anyway, last week, Jar, we had an amazing conversation about Envy of None with singer, songwriter, and lead vocalist of Envy of None, Maya Wynn, and she's kind enough to join us again this week. Maya, welcome back to the Rush Fancast. Thanks for having me again. It's great <laughs> to be back. So, Maya, before we get into the songs on side two, we touched on this briefly last week. We wanted to talk about the album art. Now, in the liner notes, it says someone named Beach designed this. Beach? Who is Beach? That's a great question. I don't know who Beach is. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you tell us about the album art, the, the meaning behind these ladies holding the pills, which we... We touched on a little bit last week. Yeah. I've, if I had a guess, I'd say Beach is connected to the label. There's a lot of people at the label and they work so hard. And, and I still feel like I have only met a quarter of them. You know, I feel like I'm looped in on a new email each week with somebody else who's like doing some amazing thing for the record. So I'd, if I had a guess, I would say that. Okay. I know that they got the photo from Plastic. There's a photographer that worked for Plastic and they did this photo shoot for, I think it was a promotion for a purse company that they did. A while ago and Andy was looking through their catalog and and that image really stuck out to him and and he showed us a few different ones as we were sort of trying to pick a, an image for the album art and something about that image is just so striking and it just really grabs your attention and I think that sort of was the main goal with it, it was just something even if it didn't have any specific relation to the music it was just something that was super eye-catching and you look at it and you think huh I wonder what kind of music that is because it's just such a unique image <laughs> and uh the two women have inscrutable looks on their faces yeah they're great right and they and they have these these like the pillows or it's like a presentation of these yeah. pills <laughs> you're like what is going on and they're way too big to swallow right they're way too I know. big <laughs> i really wonder if they if those two models know that they're now on the cover of our record <laughs> on our t-shirts now <laughs> right and on the back cover one of them is uh smoking a cigarette i think I know. <laughs> they're so great they're so talented yeah. and and they look fantastic and i hope we find them someday and send them some t-shirts <laughs> yeah it's such an interesting interesting cover yeah, and the purses, the purses themselves really did look like pills. So it was an easy thing for them to just change them into pills because the purses were basically pills already. Right. All right, well, let's get back into the music. Track six on Envy of None is called Dog's Life.
This song, Maya, is so well constructed, so dark, so heavy. It's one of my favorites on the record. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this one was really interesting. It was it's really funny. <laughs> this was the only one that like Andy had originally sent a rough of it and he had a lot of lyric ideas, but I wasn't really connecting with the lyrics for it. And Alex also was like, you know, I'm not really sure this is the right direction. And and there were really cute lyrics. There were it was like he had originally wrote, written some lyrics like about the perspective of a dog and it was kind of silly almost. It just didn't feel like it matched the vibe of because the, the instrumentation was so heavy, you know, and, and it was like this dog's never ending love for his owner. And, and it was it was really cute and I liked it, but it just didn't feel like it, it fit. And it wasn't something that I like, like I said, like I always want to really connect with what I'm singing about. And so and he's always been so sweet about lyrics and stuff he'll send ideas and he's like you know if you don't like it throw it away and just do whatever you want and he's so great with that and has always been so so wonderful with letting me have creative license over the lyrics and melodies and stuff and so that was one of the only ones that i was like i'm not so sure about this and so i ended up writing it about you know as more of a metaphor about working your life away and working like a dog and i kept the the phrase that i kept was it's a dog's life and Everything else they sort of changed and rewrote and, and I tried to keep some of the some of the little melodies that he had here and there and sort of expanded on them and added harmonies and textures and sort of built upon that. But especially at that point, I was feeling so, so overworked and it was really like cathartic for me to to write that and work on it because I was just feeling super overwhelmed and and I think it's such a universal feeling, especially in our culture of we all work so hard. We work so hard just to to keep on going and and make it by and it's so hard in today's world to just you know make rent and <laughs> you feel like you're working working to the bone whether it's for your job or for a passion or for both or for your family and it was an is it easy one for me to write actually I, I wrote that pretty fast because it was just so palpable for me in that moment and I brought in a couple friends of mine from a female rock band called Dreadlight and I had them do some yells with me and I this was one of the only ones also that I really kind of wished was really heavy vocally and and I had them like I had my friend Kendra do some screaming in it and we yelled together and and like we had some pretty heavy heavy stuff in there and I think the guys were like well I don't know if we want it to be this heavy you know but I was ready I was ready to just like because I was feeling it and I just wanted to scream and and it was still it was very cathartic for me regardless but <laughs> it's really fun to work on it yeah when I heard it my first reaction to it was that it was about being in the music industry and working for a long time like you've been you know getting frustrated when things that were supposed to pan out don't pan out and just everything that can happen to a career yeah until the point that you make it or or you know just keep working to make it yeah, it's so true. I definitely channeled a lot of that in there. And that, that's spot on. I, there is, I think it's hustle culture. It's, you know, if you have a passion, you got to work for it and you got to, you know, Go make your grind. dreams come true. It's, yeah, it's just the grind. And it's kind of, it's it's not healthy. It's not healthy what we encourage people to do. And it's unrealistic for the most part. It's such a, it's such a tough industry and so much of it is luck, luck in where you're born and who you have connections with and how you look and the money that you have to create things. There's so much of it that's just luck and chance. And even if you're extremely talented, you might not have 
five of the other things that are just luck based to make it. And so it's just right. like, I, I feel that and I feel that. And, and then you just come across those posts that are like, you know, just keep working hard and keep on the grind. And, and that's just like such a small part of it. And you can just work and work and work and, and try and try and try and still never make it. And so it is, there's a little bit of that, <laughs> that right. angst in there for sure. Um, how do you view the music industry? Because we've talked to some people and I've read articles about how the music industry obviously is not what it once was. But it seems to me like it's probably even harder today because you have to be good at so many different things, the social media aspect of it, the different parts of social media. And since it's all decentralized now, you just have to be good at promoting yourself as well. And that's got to add to the pressure, right? Definitely. I think it, it is. It feels like it's completely oversaturated and it's so easily manipulatable. You know, the, that's quite a word, manipulatable. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a real word, um, but it is so easy to, to influence. And you have people with, if you have a lot of money, you can advertise to more people. You can, there's all sorts of bots out there that are advertising for people and, and it's just a sea of information and, and you know we've all been on the internet the past 10 years it's just it's overwhelming and, and you get advertisements from every corner of the internet and it's too much and it's hard to break through that and especially if you don't have a lot of money if you're not specifically skilled at making a viral video which it, it is right. a skill it's a skill these days and and i'm not particularly <laughs> skilled at that um but there is there's, there's a a lot to be said about people who are really great about marketing themselves and who are really great at staying up to date with every social media thing and and it's overwhelming and, and you do you have to be good at all of it you have to be good at all of it or you have to have a lot of money to hire people who are good at all of it and it's just it's a lot and so i do feel like it's extremely tough but on the other hand i do see that it is in some ways more accessible to people who are very skilled at all of those things but you know maybe don't have connections or a lot of money but they're very very skilled at marketing and their talent and they can still make it pretty far because they have that accessibility of the internet which is also great and it's a definitely a double-edged sword yeah the barrier to entry is is lower than it used to be but still the Lots of costs on top, right? Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like a mob of people and information at this point. The barrier yeah. is gone and everyone's just screaming and running into each other. and <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just... <right. laughs> Trying to run through the door at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you can certainly tell that this song has really deep meaning for you. I mean, the emotion really comes through in your voice. I love the part where you say, yeah, then it just kicks in. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Let's move on to track seven on Envy of None. This is called Cabo Blues. Thank you. 
Maya. This is another one of those songs that Alex released last year as an instrumental. So another tough task for you, huh? Yeah. This one was easier than Spy House for me. This one, I feel like it was hard at first, but once I got it, I really got it. And, I, and this was <laughs> so funny. I remember emailing Alex and asking him if it was in a major or a minor key. And he just said, yes. And like, <laughs> that's totally the vibe of this song. It's just like, it's, it was really challenging. And he sort of plays between major and minor chords. And that song has such, such a cool like Middle Eastern vibe. And, and what you think is a sitar, he's actually playing the banjo in it and doing mm. some weird sort of backwards banjo stuff on it. And super cool. And it was really fun to work on this one. I, he mixed the song and I love his mix style because it just, there's so much happening. He was probably 60 layers of things in this song. And, and a lot of it was just layers that he did instrumentally, but there's so much space in it and just surrounds you. And it's so well balanced. I feel like I was so impressed with how he handled all of those tracks and he's very skilled just in so many different dimensions. Like we were just talking about, he really does. He has so many different skills, but. I love this song and, and once I got it, it was really easy to work on because I could finally see where it was going and, and it's almost sensual in a way, but it's like the alluring pull of death <laughs> <laughs> when, when, you're, when you're sort of in that lull of depression, I think there's sort of that alluring pull of death and it's almost like kind of sexy like mm, yeah might just right. go walk off a cliff you know <laughs> it's sort of like right. it's that sort of like and it is i think there are people out there that sort of like play with that idea and they and they have this almost like the tension there between them and death and and that's sort of where i went with it and and i think the combination of the title of the song couple blues and just imagining myself i was in the car when i wrote the lyrics for that song I was on a long road trip and watching the sunset and something about that just like super long it was on one of those highways that just extends forever and ever and ever and you're just on this long straightaway heading towards the sunset and something about that was just very kind of yeah it was just kind of sexy and I was like mm, yeah this is kind of it lulls you it's <laughs> it's almost like I don't know it's it's melodic it, it, and that song it sort of enraptures you and, and surrounds you and it has that that energy to it and it's almost like a what is it what do they call it the like the snake that sort of lures you out or like you know you're just following this rhythm following this melody and yeah that's sort of where i went with that song yeah i mean there is definitely like the pop culture allure of you know suicide in many works mm -hmm. right people are yeah. always we romanticize it a lot. Yeah, that's, that's exactly terrible. what I was looking for. It is. And yeah. people who are, you know, they're held up as martyrs or mm -hmm. or whatever, especially in the music industry. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely can, can feel it in the song because there is that lulling kind of thing. There is like that siren song of the music pulling you down this road, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is. It's so romanticized. And, and it's it's sad that, that is the case with so many different types of art with paintings as well. You know, it has more value when someone is gone and it's a shame. It's a shame we don't value people more while they're living. Well, Alex's guitar is so haunting on this song and your vocals mm. match it so perfectly. It's, it just really is incredible. Thank you. So let's move on to track eight. 
on Envy of None. It is called Old Strings. This is my favorite song on the record, Jer. Steve, I was going to say that. Right? It's my favorite song. This is the best song on the album. I, I really believe that. <laughs> this reminds me... You're j- just let, being nice. Let me ask Jerry something. <laughs> this reminds me... One of our favorite bands is Death Cab for Cutie, and I don't know why, but this song has a Death Cab for Cutie kind of vibe to it. Am I crazy? No, I'm, I'm picking that up. Yeah, absolutely. Your vocals, Meyer, are so beautiful on this and combined with the guitar work of Alex, it's just magic, really. Yeah. You're making me so happy (laughs) (laughs) for so many reasons. Okay, so Death Cab for Cutie was actually the first concert that I went to. Oh, wow. It was before they got really popular and it was the first concert my parents let me go to. I think I was in seventh grade or something, eighth grade. And... I love them so much. I've loved them for so long. So that's a huge compliment to me. And then on top of that, this is the song that I wrote on the album. Like this was a song that I had already written and I pitched for the record. So it makes me so happy that you like it. And (laughs) it was so fun working on this. This is one of my favorite, my favorite moments working with Alex, especially because I do feel like the guitar and the vocals do this beautiful dance throughout the song. And I feel like it really highlights the way that he and I work so well together between my vocals and and what he does with his guitars is they really feel like they dance around each other and do these cool harmonies and have these little swirly moments around each other. And it's just, it turned out so beautiful. And that song has a lot of personal meaning to me and actually originally wrote it on a dulcimer. So it was really fun to, to hand it over to these guys. I'd already recorded all the vocals. I had other instrumentation in there and I let them sort of, they stripped away the instrumentation that was there and kept the vocals and sort of built up, built upon it from there. And they went a little bit more towards that stripped down. I don't know if electronic is the right word for it, but there's those beautiful sort of like synth plucks that, that Alf and, and Annie did. And when that rhythm kicks in on that second chorus mm-hmm. is so like, 
Wow, this <laughs> is so amazing, and I loved it. It's so so fun to hear what they did with it instrumentally, and it's so cool to see, even if you have a song because I had had that song for so long, and and I had completely different instrumentation on there, and it was almost more towards like this pop rock ish vibe, and they gave it a completely different instrumentation to it and it's it's still it feels like it just supported the lyrics and the message of the song so well and gave it a completely different vibe and i and i loved that i love getting to hear a song that i was so familiar with in a whole new way and it's such a a great highlight of of these guys and and what they do and it's just so fun to work with them i love this song because it's so sad it makes me sad. <laughs> like I said, I love a, a good sad song. Oh, good. <laughs> but the, the, especially the, the line at the end of the, I, I guess it's a pre-chorus, let's call it. I don't really mm-hmm. know. The line, don't you let me hear the truth. Because I get the mm-hmm. sense that the, in this song, that the person in this song is, realizes that this kind of relationship, maybe that she has with herself or with someone else, isn't necessarily based on the actual truth, but she doesn't want to hear the truth. Is that close? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, um, it's yes, it's for me, <laughs> I wrote it about getting older and your brain, not really working the way that it used to your body, not working the way that it used to and how that pertains to a relationship, you know, and Sometimes you're just not able to be the person you used to be. You're not able to do the things you used to do. And sometimes you just want the person you love to tell you that you're okay, that you're good the way that you are, and that all of these things that are changing aren't aren't actually changing and everything's fine. And, and right. you don't really want to look at the truth in that, you know, maybe your brain isn't working right anymore and you're not functioning the way that you used to. And I just, like, I've known a lot of people who have, dealt with different kinds of disabilities in their life as well and and brain injuries and for me I I have experienced a lot of weird things with my own brain and this sort of neurological stuff that I've dealt with and I think it's just sometimes you know our brains just don't do the things that we want them to do and and they change and they're not as functional anymore and and that's just a case of getting older too and sometimes you just want to be that person you used to be you want to be you know, and I know it's so funny coming from me because I'm still young and, and <laughs> but you know, that's the mind of a artist, I guess you sort of, you see, you see a story all the way to the end. And I know that in my future, I'm going to struggle a lot with my brain and that that's going to play into a lot of my relationships and the way that I love and the way that I understand the world. And that's hard and that's hard to deal with. And it's hard to deal with, especially in relationships. And that's sort of where that that song came from um and it's so important to to be with somebody that that loves you to the point where they'll be with you through it all and and you'll make it through it you'll make it through it in the end but it's not always going to be easy it's just so great as you said jared it's a a sad song but it's got so many great hooks in it right right it's amazing but now i may never be able to listen to this song again after that explanation (laughs) (laughs) my favorite i mean the, the line's like Right off the bat, I feel like old strings. My mind just won't stretch the way it used to. Because that's how I feel. Steve and I are... We're old. Getting older, right, (laughs) Steve? Are we getting older? (laughs) We're old. It's definitely... You definitely feel it. And I feel 
this song from beginning to end. That's why it's my favorite. I got the lyrics, I think, as soon as I heard it and was singing it by the second time that I listened to the oh, album. It's definitely. But now, um, now I may not be able to listen to it because I'll be <laughs> tearing up. Aww. down as I drive down the road. That was actually one of my favorite moments when we, we did a whole album listening party in Toronto. It was like actually my only second time hanging out with Alex after we had worked together for five years. And we were all in the studio just listening to the songs. And he and his friend that he brought both really liked this song as well. And when we played this song, like looking over, th- those guys were, were crying. And it's just so palpable and so... Like, I don't mean to be sadistic, but I love making people cry. And I love, like, <laughs> it means so much to me as an artist. And and right. it, it just, it's to know that your music and, and the poetry and then the words and, and the melody has, has reached somebody to the point where they fully understand it. And it just, it, it makes you feel understood. It makes you feel understood in a way that is so, so palpable and, and hard to describe with just words and just communication but music and being able to express a deep and profound emotion and share that with somebody else and know that they feel it too you know it just connects you with people and makes you feel so understood and it's such a beautiful thing and and it meant so much to me especially you know that Alex felt that way about the song to know that that he connected with it as well and and it's such a special moment for me and you know i quietly smiled while they cried (laughs) (laughs) all right well jerry and i are going to go off and cry and let's listen to track nine on envy of none and this is called dumb electronic sound on this one huh Maya yeah this one uh, I think Alex calls it our Euro pop song uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one yeah it's a it's got a groove yeah. it's pretty relentless yeah. like it just like it hits you and it and it and it continues on through the whole song and it's it's cool and this is one that it's that as we had talked about last time of just like different interpretations of a song. And this is one that I think Andy and I have very different interpretations of the song meaning. Um, he had written the chorus and that sort of one plus one equals three, but you never get back to me. And I know that he was very inspired in that song about, he told me that he had watched a cartoon where a kid wore a dunce cap. And like, that was sort of part of his inspiration for that. And and it's more of a relationship song for him, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that chorus of if two people, they get married and they have a kid, 
and that's you know one plus one equals three and that sort of intention behind that line for him and mm. and then for me i wrote the verses more about the kind of interactions you have with people who bring you down and and are condescending and patronizing to you and and sometimes when you're working with people who don't respect you how that can be very humiliating and dehumanizing and frustrating when you know you're supposed to be working with somebody and they're supposed to be lifting you up you're supposed to be working together to build something and and when somebody's just tearing you down and doesn't respect you it's just so frustrating and it makes you feel dumb and it makes you feel dumb in so many different dimensions and that's sort of where where i took it which is typical of me like i take it very very personal in like dark <laughs> places but it's really funny to me that that andy still listens to that and he still thinks of that like cartoon kid with a dunce cap <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so funny um but i loved working on that song with him and, and i really love the chorus that he wrote for that and it really just yeah that song has such a cool vibe to it and there's so many amazing layers and and it's thick it's a thick song you know there's a lot going on and there's a lot of vocal layers in there and a lot of instrumental layers and it has a really really cool vibe to it yeah i also thought as i was listening to it that it was not only you know someone who obviously is tearing someone else down but i got the sense that the person being torn down still had this kind of approval that they needed from this other person and would kind of keep that kind of i don't know tidally locked together these two people, yeah. someone being condescending to them, but the other person needing them for some reason. Yeah. And that I feel like that element is definitely there. And it's such a, such an important component to it, too. I think you think about that people only have power as long as you give it to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And there is that dynamic to it of like needing somebody's approval or in a relationship where you have to be around this person and you, or you need them for other reasons and dynamics in your life. But they still they take that and they abuse it or or just don't respect you enough to meet you halfway. Yeah, that's an interesting, I like that. A plus, A plus. <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> <you>. <laughs> Good job, Jared. <laughs> All right, let's move on to track 10 on Envy of None. This song is called Enemy. I've been lost in this twisted world Drowned in silence and This one, Maya, is so dark. I mean, after talking to you and getting to know you, it just doesn't seem like you, a song this dark. Tell us about this one. <laughs> I have lots of darkness in me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, this was one of my favorites. It was really fun to work on this one. This actually um, was one of the first ones that I really challenged myself vocally to sort of push myself a little bit more, especially in those choruses. But it's really interesting. It's a very aggressive song about not wanting to fight. And mm. I think that's really funny. And um, an interesting component to this song is that it really ultimately at its core, it's about not wanting to participate in that kind of violence, not wanting to participate in that fight but you're yelling it. And I think, I, and I've experienced that with people, you know, like people yelling, I'm not angry, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. there's, <laughs> it's hard to not participate in something when you're already in it and you're already in the thick of it. But I think this song is so relevant right now. It's so relevant to our world and the state of our world. And, and it pertains to so many things. I think when I, when I wrote it, which was, or when I wrote the, the words and, and worked on Andy and, and I had a lot of back and forth on this one lyrically and it was sort of at the start of a lot of the protests that were happening in Portland and that's where I live. And, and there's been a lot of violence and palpable anger and just so much happening. And it feels like it's just sort of grown from there. This has just gotten worse and people are so, so on the edge right now and their last threads. And you can feel it. You can feel it everywhere that you go that people are just it's been a long, a long five years of, of anger. And, and now we're at the head of a possible world war. And it's, it's just, it's overwhelming at times. And, and that's where I, I put a lot of that, that frustration into this song. I think it, it was cathartic for me to work on this song as well. Because I don't want people to fight. You know, I think a lot of us feel that way. We don't want to fight. We don't want to go to war. We don't want to hurt each other. And it's, and it just, if there's so much violence and it's horrible and it's, and it's hard to deal with. And, and that's actually why I'm so, so glad that we're doing something good with this song. Or right, we put out a seven inch single of Enemy with a B side on it. And we're donating all of the proceeds to organization that's helping Ukraine at the moment. And I, I feel like that's, that feels really good for me to work on something that is about all of these things that are so topical right now and for it to hopefully do some good and help people and help in some small way. And I think for me as an artist, that's really important to me. And I know it's really important to Alex and, and he and I sort of talked about that together and came up with that idea to do that because we were both feeling so overwhelmed with things and feeling helpless in a way It's hard to know how you can help and how you can do any sort of thing to to make a difference and so it's been really really good to have some part of this record and some something that we're doing and so many people were like yes we want to do this and and we're eager to do something to help and so it's really great when the art that you make can make some sort of small difference um in the things that you feel strongly about i love that song i love it and you use a great image from protests in the 60s the classic photo of a protester yeah. actually putting a, I think it was a daisy, yeah, in the barrel of a rifle of someone. I don't know if it was the uh, the police or the national guard who was out for the protest. That was just when I listened to it for the first time. I was like, oh yeah, that's what that that's what this song is about. It's about trying to keep the peace or make the peace in a situation that is inherently unpeaceful. <laughs> is yeah, that, that's even a word. Yeah. It's so true. And it's such a, a powerful image. Um, and that was a line that actually Andy had had brought 
to the song and i i love it's my favorite line in the song as well it's just yeah. it's so powerful and that imagery is so powerful and it's come back throughout history you know with these women walking up to full armed forces and putting a flower in a gun and it's such a yep. it's such a delicate thing that is so so powerful and i feel like that yeah that whole song it gives it gives me chills and it's so it's so cathartic to work on and I feel like it has a, a really strong, strong message in it. Right. All right, let's talk about the last track on Envy of None. Track 11 is called Western Sunset. This was Alex's tribute to Neil Peart. Can you tell us what you know about this song and the story behind it? Yeah. So I actually, we had originally planned for me to do some vocals for this song as well. And I did do, like I, I even wrote lyrics. I had a Zoom call with Alex and, and it was a really one of my favorite parts of working on this project was that Zoom call where he just told me about Neil and he told me about the sort of inspiration behind the song and, and what the song meant to him. and. It was a really, really beautiful, beautiful Zoom call and a really important moment for me of just getting to know Alex a little bit better and to hear those stories. And I worked on some lyrics and based around that and we tried a few different things. I I tried a take that was just ooze and we both sort of felt like it just didn't need it in the end. I think part of the reason is just the voice of that song is is Alex. You know, it's not me and it's not, you know, he he wrote that song and, and you can feel it in the instrumentation. You can feel the intention and it says all that it needs to say. And it felt like me having anything in there just felt distracting from that. And it felt like it wasn't a reflection of, of the true voice in that, which really is just, it's Alex's voice. And, and he says everything that he needs to say in that instrumentation. It's so beautiful. And I know that he told me about hanging out with Neil at his house in California and that they would hang out and, 
and watch the sunset together and, and something specific about that that imagery really just stuck with him for such a long time. And that's really where Western sunset and the energy of that came from is that he just felt really at peace, you know, hanging out there and in that space and just uh, something, you know, very, very final about a sunset. And it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And it's one of my favorites on the record. And it was just really special to be, to be there for it. You know, I know I'm not technically on that song, but I still feel like I was a part of it somehow. And, and it still feels like we worked on that song together in other ways. And um, it was just beautiful to hear the stories and, and just be sort of a fly on the wall for it. And it's just a it's a it's a gorgeous tribute and um, really special, really special to have it on the record. And just a beautiful way to end this relatively noisy album. Right, is to go yeah. acoustic. <laughs> exactly, and it is. It's so beautiful, and 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 it's like a breath of fresh air, and and you have this just, it's sonically like so encompassing, and it just floats and soothes. And I know he's talked about that as well. Is sort of you know you have this giant meal of a of a record, and then you just get this nice little ah, dessert at the end. Right. <laughs> Little little slice of uh, watermelon or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can just exactly. picture Neil and Alex uh, sitting there looking off into the sunset while you're listening to this. It's just the imagery yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. And Alex is always such an emotional player. And yeah. you can, if you know the story behind it, you can you can just feel it. It's great. Yeah. So Maya, what did you learn from the experience of making this record? What's what's the main thing you take away? You must be so proud of this. Man, I feel like I feel like I've I've gained so much confidence as a person through this process. And I think one of the main takeaways is just trusting the people you're collaborating with, you know? I think there's a lot of trust involved in a long distance collaboration. And, you know, you record your pieces and then you send them and you never know if they're going to use them all or if they're going to rearrange anything or take pieces out or what they're really going to do with it. And I think what I've learned through this process is how to just trust a collaboration, you know, and know that you're working with people who who all have a creative vision for the overall project and whatever you end up with is going to be really amazing, even if it's not exactly what you expected or what you you know, would have necessarily envisioned, but it's going to be really cool and probably better for the fact that it's four people and their collective vision versus just one. You know, I was so used to working just on my own music and and having like so much control over things. And so it was really nice to sort of relinquish some of that and just sit back and sort of see what happened and record my pieces and set them free. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that was a big lesson for me is just learning how to let go of control and, and have trust in the people you're working with and enjoy the process and see what happens from it and what grows. And I know the album just came out, but big question is what is next for the band? And <laughs> do you think there'll be not a tour, maybe a few shows here and there? I think so. We've talked about it a lot. And I think if there's, you know, if there's enough demand for it and people want to come out to some shows, I think it would be really fun to figure out these songs in a live setting and what that would even sound like. And it would be really fun to do that. And I think everybody's down for doing at least a couple of shows together. And I would love that. I would really would. It would be a lot of fun. 
Well, that's such great news, and we can't thank you enough, Maya, for joining us for two episodes of the Rush Fancast to break down this record. <laughs> it was so great to have you and so great to hear how all these amazing songs were made. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You guys are amazing. I appreciate you all, and you all, meaning you too, but <laughs> I appreciate you. We have a staff you. of hundreds yeah. behind us. <laughs> I appreciate you a lot. You guys are great. You know, Jar, before this conversation with Maya, we did not speak about this record. We both listened to it for about a week straight. True. And loved it, but we didn't talk about what songs we liked best. And today we both agreed that our favorite song on the record is Old Strings, and it certainly is, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that you like it as much as I do, but it definitely is my favorite song on the album. And I was surprised to learn that that was the one song that was Maya's song and Maya's alone. Right. It's, it's such a fantastic song. She is a really great songwriter. So are Andy and Alex, of course, and Alf. Right. Great songwriters. But I'm sorry. And I think Alex and Andy and Alf would agree with this statement. Maya is the star of this record. Don't you think? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that, Steve. I just did. You just did. I'll let you get the emails from Matt, <laughs> from people who are angry. How could you be angry about that? You'd be surprised at what people are, get angry about, Steve. Well, I'm going to stick to my statement. She's the star of this record. Yes, I, I'm going to agree that you made that statement. <laughs> no, of course, I, I love Maya. Like I said, I love talking to Maya. She's so interesting, and her songs are always so interesting. And, you know, she took a lot of time out of her busy schedule to come on our podcast, and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, we both appreciate that. And the other thing that jumped out at me is the last song on the record, Jer. I mean, what a tearjerker. Kind of like The Garden is on Clockwork Angels, Western Sunset on this record. Right. Very emotional, right? Yeah, it's a very beautiful song. And unlike the rest of the album, it's just a great, it's a great last song. But a perfect way to end it. Yeah, perfect way. Yeah. So one thing we forgot to talk about, Jer, Maya told us that she just got finished shooting a movie. How exciting is that? It is exciting. She's been very busy. She shot that movie. Uh, it's like a snowboarding movie, I believe. It's a movie about a snowboarding dog called Powder Pup. And Maya's one of the stars of the movie. Hope she'll still talk to us after she's <laughs> super famous. <laughs> I was wondering the same exact thing, Steve. I think she will. I think she will. She will. I think we're friends now. Yeah, I think so. And another interesting thing is that she makes a short cameo in a new Netflix show called Metal Lords. Oh, wow. What's that about? Metal Lords? I think it's about <laughs> uh, these metal, yeah, metal lords, Steve. It's about, <laughs> it's about the lords of metal. Uh, it's about a high school, you know, and like musicians in this high school. It's com I think it's a comedy. I haven't watched it yet. But she evidently makes a very brief cameo as one of the bands at like a battle of the bands type of thing. Oh, wow. Cool. She's incredibly talented in a, about a million different ways. Right. And we're lucky to know her. We are lucky to know her. She's so generous with her time. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at The Rush Cast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our conversation with Maya Wynn and the new Envy of None album at therushcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you get every episode the moment it comes out. Lex did the bass intro and outro. Jerry, I know, has a great quote to wrap this up. 
Yeah, it's from Old Strings, I'm sure. You kind of realized that, right? I did realize it. Hit me. I feel like Old Strings. My mind just won't stretch the way it used to, but that's nothing new. And I feel like those used things, the ones left in boxes on the shelf, just like everything else. This is you, Jared. That is you. (laughs) It is. That's why I love this song so much. Jerry Old Strings. That's right. (laughs) Have a good one, Jared. All right, see ya.